0: Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This thing, Monday Night Raw, this fight's way! It's Wrestle Radio. Rejoice! At long last, the WWE wildcard roll is dead. Or at least it will be in a couple weeks. Come the WWE draft on October 11th, Friday night on SmackDown, and Monday, October 14th on Raw. It's like that sign that I saw a clash of champions on Sunday. The end is nigh. The end is indeed nigh for the wild card roll, and I could not be happier. You guys know better than anyone, I have said it here on this show. I've said it on hashtag AskGSM, I've said it in my reviews, I've said it in my articles, I have said it practically everywhere and anywhere where people can read it and hear me rant about how much I fucking hate the wildcard rule. I hate the wildcard rule, I never thought it was a good idea, I thought it was a dumb idea from the start. Granted, WWE had already begun the process of diminishing the entire brand split well before the institution of the wildcard rule. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that the brand split was actually a thing prior to May. WWE was already mingling with the rosters and having people switch shows at random for no real reason, dating back over a year. The brand split had really lost a lot of its luster since it was brought back in 2016. And even from the get-go, WWE was not honoring their brand split um, as much as they should have. But, you know, I excused it here and there, having people jump shows at random or having, having people invade this show before Survivor Series or invade that show or, you know, make dual appearances on both brands in the same week. Once in a while, it really wasn't that big of a deal. But when it got to the point around the road to WrestleMania where people were on both brands every fucking week, especially coming out of WrestleMania, I thought it would end at WrestleMania. It didn't. I thought it would end, you know, even with the institution of the wildcard role, I thought it would end after SummerSlam when Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff were fully integrated into their roles as the executive directors of Raw and SmackDown, respectively, and that didn't happen either. But WWE has outright said, I'm not imagining things, unless this was all part of a dream that I had over the past three days, that both Michael Cole and Tom Phillips said on Raw and SmackDown, respectively, this week, that with the draft coming up next month, after SmackDown's move to Fox, the wild card rule will indeed end, finally. Thank the fucking Lord. And I could not be happier, like I said, so... We'll talk more about the draft, my thoughts on it, what it means for Raw and SmackDown, and everything else regarding the draft and the brand split a little later on here on the show. But first and foremost, of course, guys, you are listening to WrestleRant Radio for Thursday, September 19th, 2019. I am Graham G.S. Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well. Quite the week we've had in WWE. I'm recording this before NXT on Wednesday. It's going up on Thursday night, hopefully, if I can get everything in order before then. But um, NXT, as of yesterday, you know, when this goes up on Wednesday, is now live on the USA Network for two hours every single Wednesday. Not only that, this week, we had Clash of Champions on Sunday, which I will be soon reviewing here on the show. Uh, Raw, SmackDown, two very good episodes, I thought, filled with a ton of returns from the pay-per-view. Raw, SmackDown, we had upwards of maybe five returns, I want to say, between Luke, Luke Harper on Sunday. We had Rusev come back on Raw. We had um, AOP resurface on Raw as well. I feel like there was one other person who would come back. Brock Lesnar on SmackDown, I know for a fact. And there might have been someone else on Raw that I'm just not thinking of right now. I know Bray Wyatt's back, but that's not really a return. He's always been around. Uh, There might have been one or two other people, but... Nonetheless, a very newsworthy week, if nothing else, in the world of WWE, which I will be breaking down momentarily here on WrestleRant Radio. You can check out the show every single Thursday right here on NextAirWrestling.net, but also on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, Spotify, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio. We're all over the place, baby. So subscribe today and don't miss out on new episodes of WrestleRant Radio every single Thursday. Rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. Very much appreciate your support. Um, not only that, but you can find me on the socials as well on WrestleRant, on Twitter at WrestleRant rather, on Facebook as well at facebook.com backslash and also on YouTube at youtube.com backslash C backslash Graham GSM Matthews. So I was kind of entertaining the idea before we went live here with the show of possibly moving the show once again to a different day. Now, Rant Radio started out on Tuesdays back in 2013, which made sense. You know, the recap from Raw and SmackDown really wasn't all that relevant back then. So it made sense at that point in time to do the show on Tuesdays. We then moved it to Thursdays, three years later, after the brand split went into effect. And we had SmackDown on Tuesdays, Raw on Mondays, NXT even on Wednesdays. Usually I record this show, even though it goes up on Thursdays, I typically record it on Wednesday afternoons just to get it out of the way. So I don't really ordinarily watch NXT before I record WrestleMania Radio, which is why it's rare I re- review the show here on the uh on the show, why I re- it's rare why I review NXT here on WrestleRant Radio is because by the time I record this, I have yet to see it. Um, and then we get the pay-per-view predictions out of the way and stuff like that. So I thought Thursdays, we've actually been on Thursdays now longer than I was ever on Tuesdays with WrestleRant Radio. Um, Thursdays have been the new home of the show for a while. There was a period in late 2016, maybe, um, that the show did air on Fridays when I recorded with Tommy Sharp. But it has since moved back to Thursdays over the last number of years. We've had a a ton of different day changes um, over the course of the uh, show's existence since the fall of 2013. But Thursdays always made sense, coming off the fallout of Raw, SmackDown, pay-per-views, stuff like that. But the world of wrestling is changing, and come October specifically... There's going to be a lot of wrestling to review and talk about here on the show, and I don't want to just make it a WWE show. You know, there are times where I'll do reviews and pay-per-view predictions for Impact and Ring of Honor, but largely, I spend 90% of WrestleRant Radio talking about WWE, because that's really what, you know, I enjoy the most, what I watch the most of, and by the time this show goes up, I mean, Impact never really had a lot of buzz, which is why I never review the weekly show. Same thing with Ring of Honor. I'll watch the pay-per-views. I watch all the shows every single week. I just don't review them here on Rant Radio because, you know, they air on different days throughout the week, and I just don't have time. I just don't really have time to talk about them here on the show. That being said, come early October, we're going to have Raw on Mondays for three hours, the occasional pay-per-views on Sundays, NXT for two hours on Wednesdays, and then SmackDown Live for two hours on Fridays. And then AEW as well on Wednesdays, which I will obviously be watching, reviewing in written form, and hopefully talking about here on the show. Now, I'm not sure anymore if Thursdays are the best day for WrestleRant Radio. That's what I'm saying. Um, I might change the day of the show again come, I mean, I'm not really sure. I really don't know. I don't want to say come early October or the end of 2019 or or even the beginning of early 2020. I'm not sure. It really is more a matter of what my schedule is, and if I can record the show, if something changes between now and the end of 2019, I very might just have to move the show to Saturdays. Um, If I'm free on Saturdays and not Wednesday afternoons or on Thursday afternoons to record the show, I might move it to a Saturday um, just to make it easier to review Raw, NXT, AEW, and SmackDown and then get in the pay-per-view predictions. I hate airing the show so close to a pay-per-view because... You know, Obviously, after a pay-per-view is over, the show is no longer relevant, um, but Saturdays might be the best day, and I've never done a podcast normally on Saturdays, but down the road, I'm not thinking anytime soon, Saturdays might be the best day to record and put up WrestleRant Radio, so stay tuned for that, would love some feedback, but in the meantime... Wrestle Rant Radio will be staying put on Thursdays for the foreseeable future. I'm just thinking down the road here, uh, just for the immediate future here on the show, I will be largely just talking about Raw and maybe NXT and AEW, depending on when I record Wrestle Rant Radio. I like getting the show up early on Thursdays so people have all of Thursday, Friday, Saturday to listen to it and not just you know, Thursday night, which is when I used to record it back in the day. But for me, it just makes a lot more sense to record it on Wednesdays and put it up at midnight on Thursdays. So again, that might be changing at some point in the near future. If not, probably not the near future, more likely down the road. I'm thinking like a couple months down the road. Just for right now, unfortunately, I won't be able to review SmackDown here on the show come these show's move to Fridays in early October. And watch me move the show to Saturdays the ratings on Fox fail and then they move the show back to like Thursdays or something like that, you know, then like a Friday show would make sense. A Friday show I like. I like the idea of a Friday Wrestle Rant radio more so than a Saturday. Um, But hey, as long as they're airing on uh, Fridays, it looks like Saturday might be the best day to record the show. But I I said the same thing about hashtag AskGSM. I'm not sure if Wednesdays would be the best day anymore to put the show up and record it. I don't know. You know, Wednesdays might be best um, unless I push that to Saturdays too. There's no way to, you know, encompass the entire week in wrestling unless I move it back to Mondays. I don't really know. I feel like Wednesdays might be the best day for that. Thursdays for Rant Radio because I do like to talk about uh, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and AEW come October. Saturdays might be better. But again, that's a different discussion for a different day down the road. In the meantime, though, we have a ton of talk about from this past week in wrestling from Raw, SmackDown, Clash of Champions. But more importantly, the WWE draft. It was announced on Sunday that the draft will be making a comeback, as they said at the start of the show, on Friday, October 11th, during SmackDown. And it will continue on Raw the following Monday, October 14th. So, let me pull up the press release that WWE put out the other day. Not really the press release, but the post they put up on their website, wwe.com to announce that the draft is you know, making a comeback in a couple weeks. It said the following. There's about to be a draft in here. That's actually the first line from the post, and I had to include it. It's really stupid, but I had to say it anyway. The destinies of WWE superstars will be determined during a two-night WWE draft, taking place live on Friday night SmackDown on October 11th on Fox and Raw on October 14th on USA Network. On both nights of the draft, superstars from Raw and SmackDown will appear along with personalities from Fox and NBC Universal Programming to announce select picks that will determine the rosters of each distinct brand. Stick with WWE Digital for more news on the WWE Draft as it develops. That's very vague. Well, first of all, it specifically says the rosters of each distinct brand. So clearly, they are getting rid of the wildcard rule. That That doesn't say it here. Um, they didn't distinguish that here in the post, but like I said earlier, they did say that during Raw and SmackDown this week, um, on two separate occasions. So no more, you know, switching shows, intermingling of the brand split, none of that shit anymore. Granted, Survivor Series is right around the corner. Um, is Raw versus SmackDown really that big of a draw? I would argue not. We've been seeing that now nonstop throughout the entirety of 2019, so I really wish they just would not do that this year but they very likely will because they have no other ideas and they don't know how to make Survivor Series special without doing Raw versus SmackDown, but I digress. Anyway. um, So yeah, they will have their own unique rosters, a lot like when they brought back the draft three years ago. And from my understanding, they're blowing up the entire, you know, brand split as it currently stands, who's on what brand, what championships belong to what brand. I mean, obviously, the SmackDown Tag Team Championships will remain on SmackDown, so I imagine the Revival will be drafted to SmackDown if they're still the champions come the draft next month. Um, but it's not like, oh, AJ Styles moving from Raw to SmackDown. I think no one will belong to any brand come October, uh, come October 11th, and they'll just determine new homes for everybody. Some people will remain on the same show. Like I imagine, again, you know, Kofi um, will probably stay on SmackDown, but he will be drafted to SmackDown. So it's going to be a new roster move even though he's technically staying on the same show. It's a little different than they did it the last time back in 2016 where no one you know, was assigned to a brand to begin with. Technically, they still do have the brand split right now and they have people already on certain shows but that will be thrown out the window completely come October 11th. They're just resetting the deck here. Um, they're starting from the beginning. They're starting from scratch and I like that because currently no one knows where the fuck anyone belongs to Because everyone's been appearing on both brands for so long, it's confusing to remember who belongs where. So I'm glad they're doing this. Um, It's a great way to make SmackDown feel special. And it's not, I I saw people saying, oh, it's the first time that SmackDown has hosted a draft ever. And that's not true. Um, SmackDown Live hosted the draft back in 2016. And they didn't continue that on Raw. That was the only night draft. And obviously they continued it after the show on the network with the supplemental draft. But it was not a raw ordeal. They actually did the draft on the first SmackDown on Tuesdays on, I think, July 19th, 2016. So um, this is not the first time that SmackDown will host a draft. But it should be cool. I'm looking forward to it. I love a good old draft, if done right. What worries me, though, and I've said this before to various people, that it says here, and again, again I'll repeat it, um, superstars from Raw and SmackDown will appear along uh, will appear, so they'll appear on both shows, along with personalities from Raw or rather Fox and NBC Universal programming to announce select picks uh, that will determine the rosters of each distinct brand. So to me, that reads Oh, I'll be seeing Todd Crisley on Raw to promote his USA Network crap. And I love the USA Network, but that show is fucking terrible. It always has been terrible, it always will be terrible. I've never been a big Todd Crisley guy. And I'm not just singling it out him, but I'm thinking like, oh, they'll have people from Fox and USA Network. And they said NBC, but to me that screams, you know, USA Network, like just having stars from other shows appear on Raw to promote their programming. I don't really want to see that. I feel like it waters down the draft. I want to be optimistic. I want to remain optimistic here and think they'll do this thing right. The original draft, honestly, let's be fair here back in 2016, was not the most exciting concept. A majority of the show was just people going back and forth, you know, just picking names, which was exciting to a certain extent. Um, You know, I mean, it it was cool to see where people would end up and stuff like that, but it it felt random and they kind of rushed through certain picks and they had certain, like, rounds and stuff like that. It sounds more organized than whatever they have going on now come the uh, 2019 draft in a few weeks. So hopefully they have a plan in place for what they think they're going to do um, for the draft and it won't be random and they won't have, again, personalities overshadow the actual draft. That's what I'm afraid of. I'm hoping that's not the case and I'm just reading too much into it, but I get a, I, I get scared when I read personalities from Fox and NBC Universal. What the fuck does that mean? Are they going to have sportscasters from Fox like they have on... You know, recent hype shows to promote SmackDown moving to Fox, like that's okay to a certain extent. Again, um, but announcing the picks, like I don't need to see the Miz and Todd Crisley on on stage on Raw announcing where Chad Gable is going to end up. Like I really have no interest in that. Um, it sounds like the Slammy Awards all over again. So hopefully that's not what they have in mind, and I'm just misunderstanding it. But beyond that, though, I am very excited. Now I'm not going to spend today's show giving away my picks. For where I think certain superstars will end up. I'm going to wait for that until the final Rant Radio before the draft on October 10th. So in, I guess, three weeks' time? Because the next week is the 25th, and then the 3rd, so yeah, the 10th. October 10th, here on Rant Radio, I will give my full-on draft for where I think everyone will end up. I love doing the fantasy drafts. I love doing shit like this. Um, it's a lot of fun to predict who's going to end up where. And the reason I'm going to wait, I mean, I could do it now, but just because we have Hell in the Cell before then, the debut show on Fox, a lot can change between now and then. You know, this week alone, we had Luke Harper come back. Rusev came back. AOP came back. Brock Lesnar is going for the WWE Championship on uh, on October 4th on SmackDown. We have Hell in the Cell that Sunday. So a lot can change between now and then. I I, I might as well just wait, because if I give my picks now, they'll very likely be outdated. I can give a general prediction for what I think might happen, like Brock Lesnar, I assume, will win the WWE Championship on that first show on Fox, and then uh, be assigned to SmackDown thereafter, but you never know. You never know. So I'm going to wait. I am looking forward to it, and it's not really something I can cook up in 10 minutes. I love doing the fantasy drafts. I love when WWE.com puts up the, you know, the the games on their website where you can assign people from one draft or one brand to the other, and I love that type of stuff. So, Um, I'll probably do my own fantasy draft for the October 10th episode of WrestleRant Radio coming up in three weeks. But we will talk about Clash of Champions on Sunday. Personally, I found it to be a very enjoyable show. And it wasn't really until I went online after the event, because Alexis and I went to the Big E Festival here in the Northeast in Massachusetts on Sunday during the show. So we couldn't watch it live. Probably the first pay-per-view I've not seen live since... God, I don't even know, Elimination Chamber? Because that was at Mania, we were at Money in the Bank, we watched Extreme Rules, we watched um, Stomping Grounds, we saw SummerSlam. Yeah, Clash of Champions was probably the first pay-per-view I've missed in quite some time, at least live. But I did watch it on Monday afternoon, and I enjoyed it. I honestly really enjoyed it for what it was. It wasn't the best pay-per-view of the year or anything like that. But, um, you know, considering how subpar the WWE programming had been for such a long time. Not recently, I would say. More so, I would say, a month or two ago. Or at least for the better part of 2018 than going into the first few months of 2019. Raw and SmackDown had not been worse in a long-ass time. But I think, you gotta give credit where credit is due. They've done a good job of getting back on track for the past, again, I would say, maybe a month or two. And now that Clash of Champions continued that solid streak of quality programming. Uh, again, not the best pay-per-view I've seen all year, but there really wasn't a bad match on the entire card. Some matches I hoped would be better, or some that weren't great, some mediocre matches, but not a match I would say that was a waste of time, or that was terrible, or no booking decisions even. You know, not even any booking decisions I would say, oh, that really pissed me off, or that's really worth ranting about. And I don't want to sound overly positive about WWE, but that's just the fact. I enjoyed this pay-per-view for what it was. Uh, I will give my critiques along the way, though. On the kickoff show, we had the WWE Cruiserweight Championship defended with Drew Gulak defeating Lindsay Dorado and Humberto Carrillo in a triple threat match. Good match. Uh, very good wrestling here. They all worked well together. As I predicted, Gulak did pin Dorado to become, uh, or rather remain, the Cruiserweight Champion, obviously you know, keeping the feud between Carrillo and Gulak alive and likely setting up a singles match between, these two, between those two at the Hell in the Cell pay-per-view in a few weeks. So really good match. The Cruiserweight Championship matches are honestly probably best part of the... Not the best part. I mean, they are the best part of the kickoff shows. But they're honestly probably better off being a part of the kickoff until they, you know, merge with NXT. And I might as well mention this here now, too. So there was a rumor last week that might have come out after I recorded the show. I don't remember because otherwise I feel like I would have talked about it. But 205 Live and Triple H refused to either agree or confirm or deny, whatever but he did give a very interesting statement. I forgot to who, but he said something along the lines of 205 Live being merged into NXT as opposed to SmackDown, which was the original rumor a couple months ago that when SmackDown moves to Fridays on Fox, that 205 Live would be folded in either into SmackDown or whatever or just disbanded entirely. I don't think 205 Live honestly needs to remain a thing. Personally, what I would do, and I've been saying this for a few weeks, months now, I would have 205 Live go live on Wednesdays before NXT. Now they have full sale university, or even go live after NXT, because I feel like people would be more inclined to stick around at full sale after the NXT taping to watch 205 live than the SmackDown tapings on Tuesdays where the crowds are fucking dead. This show's show this week's show was abysmal. And the wrestling was decent. It wasn't anything great per usual. Um, I mean there usually is great wrestling is what I'm saying but this week's show just was devoid of it for whatever reason but the crowd sucked the crowd was terrible and it's, it's hard to blame them when they don't know any of these guys and they don't care about the storylines they're not following the show they're just, there, they're just this, there to stick around for the post-show dark match or dark segment or whatever they're not sticking around for 205 Live more often than not even though the 205 Live guys do a great job of getting the crowd invested in their matches and getting people into the storylines and getting people to chant 205 or this is awesome, that, is, that warms my heart whenever I hear that chant or whenever I see people get engaged, get involved, get into 205 Live, despite not you know regularly watching the program. That was not the case this week. And that's not a weekly thing. Usually they do a pretty good job of getting people into the show. This week, though, really opened my eyes like, Wow. They need to get the show the fuck off of Tuesdays and the fuck off the SmackDown tapings. Now, I mean, people have been saying that now for over two and a half years, almost three years. 205 Live has been around since November of 2016. And it remains after Tuesdays or after SmackDown on Tuesdays in the same building in front of the same fans, which is the dumbest thing they could do for that show. And again, this is nothing new, um, but 205 Live, if it wants to survive needs to go back to Full Sail University. And I say go back to Full Sail because that's, you know, that was the venue that hosted the Cruiserweight Classic three years ago. And they were super hot for that action, and the Cruiserweights got over huge in front of that crowd. And again, the Cruiserweight Classic was something special. Not to say the crowd would be crazy for the Cruiserweights every single week like they were back then, but, I mean, needless to say, I think the crowds at Full Sail would would care a lot more about the Cruiserweights than the current crowds do after SmackDown. That's just a fact. So, hopefully that's what happens. I'm not expecting that to happen. Triple H made it sound like 205 Live, or at least the Cruiserweight division, 205 Live would end, and then the Cruiserweights would be merged into NXT. Which isn't the worst idea, but I don't think it needs to be. And I've said before, like, putting the Cruiserweight title matches would be a better idea than putting them on the WWE pay-per-view shows. Because if they have zero exposure on Raw or on SmackDown, then why would they expect these crowds to give two shits about the cruiserweights? They just can't. So, I think they're better off doing their own thing, either as part of NXT, or, again, what I would do is air 205 Live either before NXT at 7pm on the network at Full sale before NXT goes live at Full sale. and that was never a possibility before because NXT didn't air live, and 205 Live would have to be taped like, you know, once a month like NXT And it just wouldn't have worked um, if they were still going to be a part of the WWE pay-per-view shows. But if they're not going to be a part of the pay-per-views going forward and they might merge into NXT, I would keep the Cruiserweight division separate from NXT. Now, it's not, again, a terrible idea because it gives NXT more talent to work with, um, helps NXT fill out the two hours on Wednesdays, so it's not all just squash matches, but they already have enough championships and enough people on their roster where I feel like they don't need the cruiserweights. Now, granted, there's not many cruiserweights to begin with. Um, You know, they already, I mean, this might be outdated by the time it goes up. I feel like on the first NXT show, they would have said something about 205 Live, you know, soon coming to um, NXT, and that that very well might be a possibility. So if so, feel free to skip ahead by a couple minutes, or I'm sorry for wasting your time on this subject. But I really feel like 205 Live can continue to exist on you know, on its own without NXT on Wednesdays, either before the show or after NXT. I don't really see what the issue with that would be. And having the crowd sit through three hours of NXT and 205 Live really isn't a lot to ask considering a lot of these same people would sit through multi-hours of NXT TV tapings, you know, once a month. So once a week for three hours really isn't that big of a deal. And if the show is good, then who gives a shit? You know, it's not Raw. It's not even SmackDown. It's 205 Live, which is almost always excellent every single week. That's what I would do. That's merely my opinion. But um, we'll see what they do. I do think they will close down 205 Live and merge it in NXT, which I think is a better idea than merging into SmackDown, which... You know, at one point a few years ago, I wouldn't have minded, but SmackDown's roster now is so much bigger that they just don't have time for that stuff. They don't have time for certain people as it is. I saw Aleister Black and Buddy Murphy had a match before SmackDown last night for the dark match, or, at, you know, before SmackDown on Tuesday as a dark match. What the fuck is up with that? Both those guys should be on the show as it is. So hopefully they give more time to those guys after the wild card rule is disbanded and they have their own own unique roster but what i'm saying is they just don't have time for the Cruiserweights. They would get a 5 minute match on the show. It's just not a good combo. Have them under the creative control as they have been for a while now of Triple H and put them with the NXT brand. Maybe not on NXT which again is fine, but i think what would be better would be to keep 205 live separate from NXT and just air it, you know, back-to-back with NXT on Wednesdays. They had that as a, uh, I think maybe late last year when they moved, when they had the, uh, what is it, um, that show, the what the fuck was it called, Mixed Match Challenge on Tuesdays. 205 Live was still taped, I think, before SmackDown, but they aired it on Wednesdays before NXT. It was like, for a while there, there was NXT UK, 205 Live, Mixed Match, not Mixed Match Challenge, that was on Tuesdays, um, 205 Live, NXT UK, NXT, and Mae Young Classic. All in the same day for WWE, which was fucking nuts. But it was great because all the shows were awesome, so... I would love to see them go back to that. But I'm not holding my breath. Also in the kickoff show at Clash of Champions, we had the United States champion AJ Styles successfully defending his championship against Cedric Alexander. Great match here. Just kind of disappointed. It was as short as it was. Um... I was hoping for it, first of all, to be on the main card. And no disrespect to the women, but that women's tag team match had no business being on the main card. No one gave two shits about it. They were in Cedric's hometown. AJ's a big star. There was no... I know it was added to the card like a week ago, but AJ and Cedric had way more potential to steal that show, aside from maybe Sasha and Becky, than the women's tag team title match. I thought that was a dumb move. They made the most of the time they had. Cedric was a fucking house on fire when the match started. It took the fight to AJ right out of the, you know, right out of the gate. And then he was taken down by AJ, styles clash on the outside, followed by another phenomenal forearm uh, a phenomenal forearm on the inside of the ring from AJ. Followed by another styles clash in the ring. And Alexander got beat decisively by AJ, which was kind of surprising and a little disappointing just because I don't think Alexander you know, should be beaten as decisively as he was. And I saw reports that, oh, Alexander was being buried by Vince. Like, I don't think that was the case per se. But, and I don't even have an issue with Alexander losing. It was just that he lost as decisively as he did. Like, there was no reason to go back to doing another match between these two. And then he pinned Alexander again the next night on Raw. So I don't know what's going on there. But it was a good match for what it was. But it definitely could have been more with more time. To kick off the actual show, we had Robert Roode and Dolph Ziggler beating Seth Rollins, who we, you know, Robert Roode pinned Rollins, the current Universal Champion, which was cool to see, and Brian Strowman to win the Raw Tag Team Titles. Uh, entertaining match, played out exactly as you would expect it to, with um, Rollins and Strowman having issues and teasing tension and whatnot. It was a good match. Uh, Rude and Ziggler went over as they should have new Raw Tag Team Champions, setting the stage for the one on one outing later on in the night between Rollins and Strowman for that Universal Championship. And Rude pinning Rollins clean essentially was a uh, pleasant surprise. And Rude has been very protected. It's no secret he's been very protected um, since joining up with Ziggler in this tag team a few weeks ago. Um, he has, I don't think, been pinned yet, and he's largely been getting all the pinfall victories for his team. Not Ziggler, so that's very cool to see, and then it means that uh, at least Paul Heyman is high on Robert Roode and his potential. So hopefully they don't squander it when the team eventually breaks up. Roode can, you know, capitalize off this momentum and break off back on his own and be a successful singles heel. But I'm not again; they had that chance multiple times and they never really pulled the trigger. So I'm not sure why now would be any different, even with the creative influence of Paul Heyman. But again, fingers crossed. Also at Clash of Champions, Bailey beat Charlotte Flair to retain the SmackDown Women's Championship. Very short match, and yeah, obviously disappointing. But it was obviously meant to further the feud between Bailey and Charlotte. It was more designed to further that feud than it was to give us an instant classic, which they can say for another time. It was merely one step ahead, you know, just another step in this program between Bailey and Flair, which may soon now involve Carmella, which I'll talk about my SmackDown review later on. Which um, I'm kind of honestly. You know, uh, happy to see, and I'll talk more about that later, but the match was whatever. I I like the finish, though. Bailey had to start showing some sort of heel tendencies, and I don't know if she did on Raw or SmackDown this week. She did interfere in Sasha Banks and Charlotte versus Charlotte on behalf of Banks and helped, you know, I guess, you know, Charlotte won by DQ, and she helped Banks, you know, uh, avoid taking a loss here on SmackDown. So she is slowly but surely becoming more heel, but it's, it's only a matter of time before she ditches the dumb entrance music and the look. And I love it all. I'm a Big Bailey fan, as most of you know. But if she's going to be a full-fledged heel, she has to go all the way. Change up the look. Change up the entrance theme. Start acting more heelish during her entrance. Don't be clapping hands with the fans and stuff, You know stuff like that. She's got to go full-on heel on this show. And this was a nice step in that direction by having her cheat to win, or rather, you know, cheat to win and retain her title. So I thought that was good. The actual match, though, nothing special whatsoever. The Revival did knock off the New Day to win these SmackDown Tag Team titles. Good match. They've always worked well together. Um, Dating back to their first matches on the main roster when the Revival was called up after WrestleMania 33. Picked up two big wins then. Picked up another big win over the New Day here. You know, they've been playing up for a while now that the New Day is... Um, has yet to defeat The Revival in standard singles, not standard singles, but standard tag team competition. And I thought, okay, The New Day would come back, bounce back, Xavier Woods is back from his quote-unquote injury, and they would finally beat The New Day to retain their SmackDown tag team titles. But that did not happen. That did not happen. The Revival won here. They took advantage of Xavier's injury and became the new SmackDown tag team champions, becoming the first team in the process to win the Raw, SmackDown, and NXT Tag Team Championship. And that's a really cool stat. Um, there are other people who have won all three sets of tag titles, but not with the same partner. For example, Chad Gable. I th- No, Chad Gable wasn't the first. Jason Jordan was the first. Um, he had won the NXT Tag Team titles with Chad Gable and then the SmackDown Tag Team titles with Chad Gable as part of American Alpha. Then the Raw Tag Team Titles with uh, Seth Rollins over, I think, on Christmas 2017. Chad Gable did the exact same thing by winning the NXT Tag Team Titles with Jordan, the SmackDown Tag Team Titles with Jordan, and then the Raw Tag Team Championship with Bobby Roode earlier this year, or late last year, whatever. So, But the first team to win all sets, uh, all three sets of Tag Titles, is The Revival, which is really cool. And they are now two-time NXT Tag Team Champions, two-time Raw Tag Team Champions, and now... SmackDown Tag Team Champion. So, for a team that was uh, very frustrated with their position in the company a few months ago, and they very well still may be, considering that tag team wrestling isn't exactly a priority of WWE right now, they've been racking up a lot of titles, so I'm not so sure anymore they might be leaving when their contracts expire. WWE seems to be doing everything in their power to make them happy, to want to keep them around, and not lose them to AEW. The more they tease it on social media, the more WWE likes to uh, make it up to them by giving them another championship reign. Now granted, none of these championship reigns have exactly lit the world on fire, but championships are championships, and it's not like they're on main event anymore like they were earlier on in 2019. So uh, it's cool to see, and this was a good match. Though I do fear, though, the New Day will get the belts back by Hell in a Cell. Time will tell, though. For the WWE Women's Tag Team titles, like I said, a match that didn't exactly belong on the Hell in a Cell card, but whatever, or on the Clash of Champions card, but whatever. Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross beat Fire and Desire. The match was okay. It um, was kind of made out to be a joke once the 24 7 Championship stuff got involved, which I loved what they did with that on Raw this week, by the way, with Mayor Glenn Jacobs, a.k.a. Kane. I thought that was hilarious. Um, but yeah, so they got involved in this match. Our Truth almost got pinned by Alexa Bliss and uh, then they ran off and whatever. So if there was any match to do that during on this show, it was this one, just because those tag team titles mean fucking nothing. They mean nothing. I'm sorry they don't. And I think it's only a matter of time before Banks and Bailey win them. But the match, the match wasn't terrible. I just could not give two shits about those tag team titles. Um, speaking of championships that don't exactly feel important at the moment, the Intercontinental Champion Shinsuke Nakamura beat The Miz to retain his championship. Um, a good match, actually. They worked well together. I have not cared about this feud at all in recent weeks, and I feel like I should, and I feel like a lot of people should, because Nakamura is great. The Miz can be a really good babyface. They have a very good dynamic. It's except it's it's just the fact that um, they've just done nothing to make me want to care about that championship right now. It's been a, a complete afterthought for the better part of the past year maybe, I would say. The last time that Intercontinental Championship actually felt important was when Rollins held it around SummerSlam time about a year ago. He won it at WrestleMania, had a great reign the first time, dropped it to Dolph Ziggler, won it back at SummerSlam. Didn't do a lot with it in the fall of last year, but he was still doing more with it than what we're seeing right now with Nakamura and as we've seen previously with Bobby Lashley and Finn Balor and people like that. Dean Ambrose, all of them had very forgettable reigns as Intercontinental Champion. Um, hopefully, Nakamura will be different now that he has Sami Zayn by his side, but Zayn talking during Nakamura's matches has to fucking end. It's so annoying. I said here on the show a few weeks ago, I like the pairing of Nakamura and Zayn, but the talking during the matches is such a turnoff. Um, it does not make me want to care about the match or whatever. It's just a complete fucking turnoff. So I really hope. I mean, they stopped doing it within a few minutes of the match and they picked up the pace, and the match was good after that, but they have to stop doing that altogether moving forward. It's just so annoying, and in the wrong way, too. Not in the way that, oh, I'm going to give Nakamura and Zayn boo. Like, I'm going to boo Nakamura and Zayn. It makes me want to change the channel. It's that bad. For the Raw Women's Championship, the match that I thought stole the show, uh, Becky Lynch versus Sasha Banks, very good stuff here. The first singles match these two have probably had on TV since, I want to say early 2016, because they were feuding for a bit going into WrestleMania 32, um, when they vied for the Divas Championship, later rechristened as the you know Raw Women's Championship with Charlotte Flair, they had a match. They had a couple matches on Raw and on SmackDown that were like number one contenders matches, and they all ended in like DQ, shit like that. This one being no different. Um, I remember seeing them face off at TLC actually, T- uh, TLC 2015 in Boston on the kickoff show for that show and it was a good match they've always worked well together dating back to their NXT days they had that amazing takeover match at takeover unstoppable I want to say in May of 2015 um, this was equally entertaining they, they, these ladies worked very well together could have very easily made an end of the show um, I thought they had a tremendous match and Again, the best match on the entire card. And I liked the Cruiseway Championship match. The SmackDown Tag Team title match was also very good. And even the main event was very entertaining. But I thought this was the best bout on the entire card. Um, I, I figured Banks would win, albeit not by disqualification. Though it's fine. It keeps the belt on Becky for right now. Make sure, you know, it ensures that Sasha doesn't lose so soon after returning. So I liked what they did here. Wasn't as bland as, you know, Becky getting herself DQ'd or Sasha getting herself DQ'd. Um, They got a chair involved and you didn't know for a while if the match was going to end or if it was over, whatever, because Becky hit the referee with a chair by accident and he was out, so I'm thinking, okay, the match is over, question mark? Because the bell never rang. They brawled into the crowd for a while. And Michael Cole said, oh, Becky, you know, retained her title. They gave an official call, like... They said it was a DQ win for Sasha, like, well after the fact, as the brawl was being broken up. So, it was a while later that we found out that Becky was still the champion, but Sasha won by DQ. Um, But still, the match itself was great. I'm looking forward to the rematch, which is now official for the Hell in the Cell pay-per-view inside Hell in the Cell. It'll be Becky's first time inside Hell in the Cell. They had their first ever women's Hell in the Cell match three years ago with Charlotte and Sasha. And it was great. Um, I mean, it, w- it could have been better. It was actually kind of disappointing. But it was a really cool main event for that show. I was there. This could be even better. Uh, I know Sasha and Charlotte have great chemistry. But Becky and Sasha, their feud might arguably be hotter than the one that Sasha and Charlotte had a few years ago. So, I'm looking forward to it. Also a Clash of Champions, Kofi Kingston beat Randy Orton to retain the WWE Championship. Better than the SummerSlam match, And probably one of Kofi's better pay-per-view title defenses. But a lot of these title defenses just don't feel exciting. They just don't. I'm honestly excited more for Kofi and Brock on that first Fox show next month for the WWE title than I have any other Kofi Kingston match on pay-per-view. Since probably he won the championship at WrestleMania 30 or 30, uh, 35. (laughs) Not WrestleMania 30, 35. Um, which was an amazing match, but he was in chase mode. All of his championship defenses on these shows have been very underwhelming. The, the Kevin Owens one at Money in the Bank was average. The Samoa Joe one at Extreme Rules was average. The Dolph Ziggler one, or both matches at a uh, Super Showdown and Stomping Grounds, were average. The SummerSlam match with Randy Orton was eh, very mediocre. Uh, it just wasn't that good. So, and this was this was a lot better, but just still not great. So I maybe taking the championship off of Kofi is the best move. I'm glad he's been protected as he has been throughout his reign as WWE champion. I think it's been a very good reign, you know, for all intents and purposes. We all like to shit on WWE and how they don't create new stars and how they only focus on the same four or five faces. But Kofi has been a real success story in WWE in 2019 as WWE champion. It's been a real breath of fresh air, but it seems like the Cinderella story is finally over. The honeymoon phase for Kofi Kingston is finally over. And that is, uh, the end is nigh. Like I said at the start of the show, the wild card rule. The end is nigh for Kofi Kingston's reign as WWE champion. And hell, if he somehow escapes that first flock show as WWE champion, more power to him. And I'm interested to see who else they would put him up against if it's not like Big E turning heel like I've said before here on the show. Um, I, I just think it's it's time to switch things up with Brock as champion. And that sounds weird, But I think Brock might be the best guy to take the championship from Kofi. Just because he is a legit threat. They want to build around him on SmackDown. He has not been on SmackDown in over a decade and a half. He was a SmackDown guy for the better part of his first run in WWE. If you can recall, he debuted on Raw after WrestleMania 18. But he was only a part of Raw for like six months. Before he got moved over to, not even six months. He got moved over to uh, SmackDown by August, I think, of 2002. Which is where he remained until he left. In the spring of 2004, so I like Lesnar being on SmackDown, and him WWE champion. I could, you know, it's 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 mixed feelings, just because I don't want another absentee champion and Brock winning world title after world title after world title. It just boggles my mind. I think he is now a seven-time world champion in WWE, and four of those reigns have come in the last, um couple of years, five years, you know, he became WWE champion back at SummerSlam 2014, didn't hold gold again until 2017 when he won the Universal Championship of WrestleMania, lost it, got it back at Crown Jewel last year, lost it, got it back again from Rollins at Extreme Rules, lost it at SummerSlam, now he's back in the title picture, the, the, the title picture again, this time on SmackDown, so, we'll see where they go with it, but I'm not as opposed to it as I thought I would be. We'll see where they go with it. I always thought they would do Kofi and Brock on that first Fox show. I thought it would be with the Money the Bank contract on the line, though, um, with with Brock cashing in. We're, we're getting the match with Brock wrestling, which is great, just not the way that we envisioned it many months ago. Eric Rowan beat Roman Reigns, a sentence I never thought I would say, but it, it, it indeed happened at Clash of Champions on Sunday in that no disqualification match, albeit you know with the help of Luke Harper. The match was surprisingly better than I thought it would be. Again, I got to give credit where it's due. Rowan really held his own here. The no DQ stipulation helped a lot. Because if that wasn't there, this match would have fucking sucked. And the match wasn't a match of the year contender anyway. But I thought they made good use of the stipulation. It was entertaining for the most part. And Luke Harper's return really took me by surprise. After all the dirt sheets and people were saying for weeks that, you know, Vince McMahon, this has been reported dating back to April. But there was a recent update that said that Vince McMahon has no desire to bring back Luke Harper to WWE TV. He doesn't see anything in him, blah, blah, blah. And then look at that. He shows up on Sunday and aids his old tag team partner in defeating Roman Reigns. And I think that's cool. It looks like we're setting up for a, they're shaping up for a Roman Reigns Daniel Bryan tag team match with the former Bludgeon Brothers at um, Hell in the Cell, which is honestly pretty cool. I am fully on board with that, so um, I don't know if that turns Daniel Bryan's face. I don't know if it goes back to my original prediction of Daniel Bryan being behind the Rowan-Harper, you know, attacks and whatnot. I'm not sure. The attacks of Roman Reigns, but being revealed to be the the leader of uh, Harper and Rowan. I don't, at this point, they've attacked Bryan enough where I feel like it would be really hard to explain that Brian is behind it all, but stranger things have happened in WWE. <laughs> a lot more illogical things have happened in WWE before, so I wouldn't put it past them to do that. And it would actually be kind of interesting to see a Brian-led stable of Brian, Rowan, and Harper, the new Brian family, um, as opposed to the Wyatt family. I could I could get behind that, but uh, this was a decent match though with a surprising outcome. And then for the Universal Championship in the main, in the main event, Seth Rollins facing Braun Strowman. And a much better than expected match, again, I could not give two shits about Braun Strowman at this point in time. The guy's a glorified loser. And I saw people say and putting up a stat record, you know, the the stats and the record of him in world championship matches over the past two years, the guy cannot just get the job done. He can win the tag team titles with Seth Rollins. He can win the tag team titles with a fucking 10-year-old. He can win pointless battle royals like at WrestleMania 35 and at a what was it, uh, the greatest Royal Rumble last year, he can win that shit all he wants. But when it matters most, he cannot get the fucking job done. He's a loser. He failed to win the WWE Championship, or rather the Universal Championship. It's always been the Universal title. He failed to win the Red Tomato title back at SummerSlam 2017. He went for it again against Brock one-on-one at No Mercy 2017, lost, Like a fucking loser, decisively too. The match was no good. He went for the championship of Royal Rumble 2018 with Kane in that triple threat. The match sucked. He lost again. Didn't get pinned, but he still lost. That's three right there. He went for it again at Hell in a Cell, I want to say, against Roman Reigns last year. Lost, or didn't really lose, but it was a no contest after Brock. Interfered, So it was an unsuccessful cash and only one of a few people to have had that done to him. Only one of, uh, uh what, four people? Corbin, Cena, and Sandow? So that wasn't good. That's four. Went for the championship again. When was it? At Crown Jewel? Lost? That would be five? And I feel like he went for it again maybe earlier this year. I, I've lost track, but he was almost supposed to go for it I think at... Royal Rumble against Strom, against uh, Lesnar, but he got bumped from the match because they realized it was not you know, doing anything for anyone. It was not exciting, whatever. So they bumped him, they bumped him from, that, uh, from that match too. So SummerSlam 2017, No Mercy 2017. I felt like there was another match that year where he went for another show that year where he went for the title and he lost. I don't remember. Let me pull it up because I know someone tweeted about it a while ago. Let me see. I think it was at WrestleVotes. And my computer's being a bitch right now. Let's see. Let's look it up here on the air because it's going to bother me. WrestleVotes, Twitter. All right. Let's see. Because I know they tweeted about it the other day. And I was like, holy shit. Because I've been saying this for a while now that the guy has always lost whenever it has mattered most. And uh, this Sunday was no exception. Let's see. So... SummerSlam 2017, No Mercy. Yeah, the sixth time was Sunday. So SummerSlam 2017, No Mercy 2017, Royal Rumble 2018, Hell in the Cell 2018, Crown Jewel, and now Clash of Champions 2019. The guy is a fucking loser, people. Take him out of the world title scene and keep him out of the world title scene. It's been six times now he has failed to win it. Shinsuke Nakamura, every bit of a loser as Strowman is, as far as I'm concerned. Same exact thing. He went for the belt against Ginder at SummerSlam in 2017, lost. Hell in a Cell 2017, lost. WrestleMania 34, lost. Backlash, lost. Greatest Royal Rumble, lost. Um, what was the other pay-per-view? Money in the Bank, lost. That's six times in the span of a year. The guy lost every single time. So again, Strowman is no, you know, he's not the only one. But still, that's pretty embarrassing. It's time to move on. The show did end on a high note, though. The match was really good, but um, the show did end on a high note with Bray Wyatt, the Fiend, making an appearance on the stage as it appeared the show was about to go off the air, attacking Seth Rollins and staking his claim at that Universal Championship. So I'm looking forward to Rollins and Wyatt at Hell in a Cell. I'm looking forward to the match a lot. Um, They did a great job of getting me excited on, um, on, what was it, on Monday's Raw, during Monday's Raw, when they had him attack Seth Rollins at the end of the show which is great news uh, for Bray Wyatt, who, after working so hard to get back to where he is right now, finally appears to be next in line for a run with that Universal Championship. They had him attack Rollins. They had him attack Kane at the end of Raw this week, which was really cool to see. Um, something I never thought I would. Not no, I mean, we've seen Wyatt in Kane before, obviously, a lot, and it was never really that good. But we have never seen The Fiend in Kane before. If he couldn't attack The Undertaker at SmackDown at MSG last week, having him lay out the Phenom's brother, Kane, was the next best thing. So I thought that was cool. Gave a cool rub to Bray Wyatt. And the guy just feels like a total star right now. They would be idiots to not put that championship on Bray Wyatt come hell in the cell. They would just be foolish. So hopefully that's the plan. Hopefully that's where they're going with this. And um, again, they'd be idiots not to because Bray Wyatt is the hottest thing going right now in WWE. But that was Clash of Champions on Sunday. Don't really have much time left for Raw and SmackDown reviews, uh, but I will go quickly through the results. Do you want to mention this, though. On Raw, we did have the return of AOP in the form of a vignette. They aired again on SmackDown the next night. But they appear to be like Hitmen. Um, I thought it was really cool. They explained why they have not been in action since WrestleMania. Um, I mean, they were in that... Battle Royal at a super showdown in June blinking you missed them they had that face off with the Viking Raiders and heavy machinery I want to say um which went nowhere they got tossed by like Titus O'Neill or some shit it was a, it was a fucking mistake but um AOP were in that battle royal it's not like they have not been on TV at all but they have not been on raw as a unit since like December because I think Akam got hurt I think it was Akam who got hurt and Razor was on main event a few times and That was about it. So Hopefully they come back on their own. They're not coming back with Drake Maverick as their manager. That never really worked. He did a good job in the role, but still that was never really a pairing that made sense to me. And this new gimmick change they've got going on here, I'm digging it. I really like it. It's more serious. Feels like something out of The Godfather. And if this means they'll finally be treated as like hitmen on WWE TV and as a real dominant threat, then I'm all for it. Because they've been a joke really ever since they got called up to Raw about a year and a half ago. You know, they had momentum early on. They dominated some jobbers, a lot like the Viking Raiders. But unlike the Viking Raiders, they got beat pretty quick by, like, fucking Titus Worldwide. And they never really recovered. Yeah, they won the Raw Tag Team titles, but they lost them within a month. So again, uh, with AOP and AOPP, that whole dumb shit with da- with uh, Drake Maverick last year... This is a good way of erasing all of those wrongs, moving forward with them as a dominant tag team. Coming out of the draft, I would put them on Raw. Or rather, on SmackDown. They kind of already won the Raw tag team titles. I would put them on SmackDown. Keep the Viking Raiders on Raw. Keep them separate. There's no real reason to have them feud. But I'm glad they're finally doing something with AOP. Because for a long time there, they weren't doing jack shit. They weren't even on the fucking shows. So again, this is better than nothing, and I'm very excited to see what they have in mind for these guys. Come their eventual return, likely after the draft in a couple weeks. Um, also on Raw, Rusev returned. Unfortunately, not as in a uh, not in a triumphant manner. A lot like AOP or Luke Harper or Brock Lesnar on SmackDown. He returned as the quote-unquote baby daddy of Maria Kanellis's baby, uh, Mike Kanellis. Got the fuck kicked out of him on Raw this week by Ricochet and then Rusev, who we have not seen since, I think he was in that Super Showdown Battle Royal back in June. Beyond that, though, I don't think we had seen him on TV since April, uh, when he was teaming with Nakamura for like a month or two, which also went nowhere, nor did it need to. They have zero chemistry, so I thought that was kind of a waste. Um... But yeah, Rusev's been sitting on the sidelines ever since. Likely very frustrated with his position with his position in the company. There's a lot of people like that. Luke Harper sitting at home. Rusev was sitting at home. You know, a lot of people. AOP were nowhere to be seen. And now he's back on WWE TV. Albeit not in the role that I envisioned him being back in. Uh, I'm glad he's back, but this whole Canelo shit is terrible. So hopefully he's not attached to that. And this was just their way of bringing him back. Not exactly the way that I thought he'd be brought back, but it's good to see him nonetheless. And um, we'll see what they do with him going forward. This whole Canela shit, the Canela's crap is, uh, you know, really bad to watch. It's just terrible TV. So hopefully Rusev is not, a part, uh, is not a part of that for long. He was a part of that, you know, type of shit for a while there a few years ago. with Lana and Dolph Ziggler and Summer Ray, that whole nonsensical storyline. To go through that again would be death for this guy. Maybe they know he wants to leave, and they're just burying him on the way out. But at least he's on TV and not sitting at home. So uh, that's a plus, I, I guess. We also had the finals of the King of the Ring tournament, Baron Corbin besting Chad Gable. Great match. Every bit as good as I thought it would be. Gable looked great in defeat. The guy's not buried. He's not ruined. I wanted him to win as much as the next guy. But we all can't get what we want. And King Corbin... Could actually be a treat if what we've been seeing in recent weeks from Corbin in the King of the Ring. He's won clean every single time. He beat The Miz clean. He beat Alexander clean. He beat uh, Joe and Ricochet clean in that triple threat. And then he beat Gable clean on Monday's Raw. And it was an amazing finish, too. They um, they brought back the spot from TakeOver Respect about four years ago. It was the tilt-a-whirl into the end of days. It looked awesome. Fucking loved it. Hopefully we can see more of these guys against each other going forward, maybe again at Hell in a Cell. They have really good chemistry, so I would kill to see them against each other again come the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view next month. And Gable got the better of Corbin on SmackDown. He did trash all of his awful King of the Ring props, so uh, I thought that was pretty cool. But hopefully we could see more of them against each other in the future as well. And that was really it. Um, Again, The Fiend laying out Kane at the end of SmackDown. We had Sasha Banks and Bayley beating Cross and Bliss on Raw. Then on SmackDown, then Brock Lesnar returned. I already talked about that. Owens and Sheen, I think, might have another match in Hell in the Cell. Whatever. Uh, Rowan and Harper standing tall over Roman Reigns and, and Bryan, uh, setting up the likely tag team match for the next pay-per-view, uh, Hell in the Cell, which is cool to see. And Charlotte and Sasha having a match. So, yeah, I'm digging what we've been seeing recently on Raw and SmackDown. Hopefully they can keep it up going into the draft. And SmackDown moves to Fox. SmackDown's moved to Fox in a couple of weeks And Hell in the Cell. And the draft and everything else, like I mentioned. So, it's a very exciting time right now to be a WWE fan. And on that note, guys, about to wrap it up here at WrestleRant Radio. Thank you guys, as always, for tuning into the show. Very much appreciate it. Be sure to support the show, share the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Podbean, Wrestling.net. You get the gist. Subscribe today for new episodes every single Thursday. We'll be back next week breaking down all the latest in Raw, SmackDown, WWE, and beyond. Hopefully talking NXT as well. Again, as of this recording, I've yet to watch it. So hopefully it was a great show, and there's even more to talk about and dissect from NXT come next week's show. So until next time, guys, have an awesome rest of your week slash weekend. I'm Graham G.S. Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the road.